Yanali Espinel is the founder of the popular blog and YouTube channel, Miss Be Helpful. After paying $20,000 in credit card debt, she discovered a passion for financial literacy and started creating educational videos on personal finance, from debt to credit to investing. She currently serves as the Director of Educational Outreach at NextGen Personal Finance and is a member of CNBC's Financial Wellness Advisory Council. Meet the leaders shaping the new era of credit. This is the Vantage Core Podcast. Today, we talk to Yanelli Espinel, creator of Miss Be Helpful. Part two. I think it's hard with things like, oh, how much should I be spending and how much should I be saving? And how much should I be living off of? Because in our country, I mean, I'm going to talk about the U.S. because that's where I live. But in our country, the standard of living varies so much depending on the region where you live, depending on the state where you live. And even within certain states, certain zip codes could be very different from a different zip code in that same state. So you really have to think about what does the average person in my zip code pay in rent? What does the average person in my zip code spend on Internet? to their internet provider. So really tune in to those local statistics, look for local data about where you live, and then try if you can to be below average, try to spend less than what the average person is spending. Because if you can do that, then you're freeing up a lot of dollars in your budget to put towards things like paying off debt or investing or making sure that you don't have to borrow as much when you put down a down payment on your home one day, it'll be a bigger down payment so that you borrow less. And Again, all of those different decisions kind of vary where you live, but definitely there are some like general financial expert tips, right? Like try and save minimum of 10% from every paycheck. So if you have a paycheck and it's $100, take 10 bucks right off the top, put them away, pretend you, don't, you didn't make that money and use $90 instead of 100 to make whatever decisions and moves you're going to do with your money after that paycheck lands in your checking account. So things like that, you know, taking a little bit off the top before making sure your rent isn't like more than 30%, 25 to 30% of the income that you have. There's certain guidelines you can try to stick to. But again, I think those tips can vary so much. Like somebody living in New York City, where I was born and raised, people are not going to spend 25% of their income on rent. Rent, It's such a high standard of living city. Rent is like 50% of your paycheck on average if you live in a city like that. So I think the general types of advice sometimes aren't super helpful. And the more specific you can get about your zip code and what people are doing where you live, the better your budget's going to be. I think in your 30s, a big thing that people tend to do is they do not pay attention to the variety of the types of credit that they have and how long you've had credit for is so important in your 30s as well. So for example, if you used to open the student loan when you were 18 or a student credit card at 18, by the time you're 30, you have almost 15 years of credit history. And that's going to really help you to have a really high credit score because one of the categories that is really important is how long have you had credit for? What is the age of your credit history? And so that's one of the things a lot of people just don't pay too much attention to. So if you wait till your 30s to start trying to get your credit right, you are just, it's going to be impossible because you have to work backwards, right? Or it's going to feel impossible. So um, one of the tips that I really love sharing recently, I've been saying this a lot more, is if you are in your 30s or even later, in life and your credit isn't where you want it to be, it's probably because you have a short credit history. Credit history can be that thing that is really hard to change. But one of the easiest ways you can kind of hack the system I find is you can have somebody with really good credit, maybe an aunt or an uncle or a cousin or your parent, add you as an authorized user to their very first credit card. Because if they do that, then all the years that they've had that credit card open for will carry over to your credit report and it will then report that you've had much longer credit history. 
than you actually have. And so that can be really, really good in boosting your credit, even in your 30s, even in your 40s, which is usually the age when people are looking to buy a home or to consolidate their debt and things like that. So the more you can boost your credit in your 30s and 40s, the more it's going to help you to make big ticket purchases like a home or a car or a business and things like that, or get loans to be able to pay for your kids to go to college and things like that. So I think that that's one of the easiest hacks that you can do is try to extend your age of credit by having someone else with good credit add you as an authorized user. So the other few things I think in 30s and 40s that people tend to do is they don't really pay attention to their net worth. They pay a lot more attention to the money that they have in their bank account, right? Like how much do I have in my checking account or my savings account? And the reality is that your net worth is so much more important. And this is sort of like, you know, like when you're applying for a house and you have the loan officer go through your statements, they're looking for your debt to income ratio, right? Because you might be looking at your checking account thinking, look, I have a lot of cash here. I can put a big down payment. They don't just care about that. They want to see the full picture of your financial situation, which means how much do you owe and who do you owe it to and how much are you earning each year? Can you manage to pay that debt with the income that you're earning? So that's more of a full picture than just what your bank account shows. And it's the same thing when you're tracking your finances like holistically, right? So instead of paying attention to your bank accounts, think about your net worth, which is incorporating all of the the assets that you have, any investments, any cash in your bank account, home, anything that you might have that's worth money, add up the value of all that, and then subtract any debts that you owe. If you owe money on your mortgage still, or if you owe student loans or credit card debt, subtract all that debt from all of the assets, the value of all your assets, and then whatever's left is what you are actually worth, right? Like your actual net worth. So that's a super important thing to track over time too, and try to make sure that your decisions that you're making help you to increase your net worth slowly over time. Obviously, you're not going to like double it overnight, but what small actions can you take throughout the year that can get you towards a higher net worth as you progress, you know, in your career and in your life, especially in older age, you want to start trying to get close to a point where you can comfortably imagine retiring, right? Like, okay, you're going to need a lot of money in retirement. So that's a big one, net worth. And I recently started paying more attention to that and trying to create goals around improving my net worth. Because before I was just trying to like do other things like investing or investment goals or invest or goals for like where I want my credit score to be. Um, but net worth is really important too. And then maybe the, the last one that I would say is when you are thinking about applying for types of credit, like one of the things I noticed is that when you're in your 30s and 40s, people tend to want to do all the things like, okay, I'm going to get this new car because I got this new job and then I'm going to apply for this house because my, you know, my fiance and I want to get a house and I'm going to apply for a loan because I want to be able to pay for our wedding. And when you apply to so many different applications for credit, that hurts your credit score. And people don't realize that you're creating all these hard inquiries by going out there and doing things around the same time. So you actually want to space these things out. Even if, you know, all the things are happening around the same time in your life, try and space things out six months, five to six months apart so that you don't have all these credit inquiries pop up on your credit report at the same time, because that just looks like you're desperate. You're desperate to borrow money. And and that's not a good sign to lenders. I think the best ways that I've managed to improve my net worth is when I had debt, instead of keeping the high interest rate debt on my credit cards, I actually took out a loan that was a much lower interest rate. And then I used that loan to pay off all the credit cards. And then I just made one monthly payment to that loan. So that would be called like debt consolidation. And that saves you so much money and helps you boost your net worth, whether you kind of like notice it or not, because instead of paying the interest rate that you were paying before into the future, you've now saved the difference in interest fees. So if you were paying 20% and now you have a 6% loan, 
14% interest annually, you are now able to redirect somewhere else instead of continuing to send it to those credit card um, payments. So that's a simple way. Make sure that you look through your debts and get them to be as low interest as you can. And then the other thing is the opposite end of that. So debt, like lowering your interest rate on your debt is making sure that you're not making as high payments or paying really high fees. But on the other end is what are you bringing in? Because you can't just focus on what's going out. You got to focus on what's coming in. So if your income isn't where you want it to be, practice negotiating, have a conversation with somebody at your job about your work and your value and your contributions to your job and see if you can negotiate for a higher salary, for a salary boost or for a bonus at the end of the year. That's something that we don't talk about enough. A lot of people don't feel comfortable doing that, but we have to become more comfortable because at so many points in your life, you're going to have to negotiate, you know? And so you got to be comfortable with that, especially when it comes to your income. And then of course, you know, it's the 21st century. It is the century of side gigs. The gig economy is huge and figuring out how to tap into that and how to make extra side income. For me, that was posting YouTube videos and tutoring kids and posting videos online for other companies, blogging and doing workshops, right? But for other people that might look very different. So finding out what are the skills and the talents that you have that could potentially help you generate more income on top of your nine to five or more traditional work that leads you to get income. There is definitely a big conversation around what are the best ways to pay off debt? Is it the debt snowball strategy or the debt avalanche strategy? And there's like pros and cons to both strategies. But my preferred way to pay off debt is the hybrid of both. At first, you might organize all of your debts and say, okay, this one is the highest interest rate, but I actually am not going to pay attention to that so much because there's this other debt over here. It has a lower interest rate, but the amount is so small that I feel like if I just pay that off right now, I'm going to feel really good about like crossing that off my to-do list and get this little mental boost, right? A boost of motivation to keep going. So maybe you don't pay attention to the interest rates at first. You just kind of pay off maybe the one smallest balance that you have. Right after that little boost you get, immediately switch over to converting your order of priority to the highest interest rate that's that you have. Because at the end of the day, when you think about the math of it, the interest rate just basically means how fast is that debt growing? So what you want to do is try to smash the one that's growing the fastest and then go to the one that's growing the next fastest and then the next fastest until you, the one that's growing the slowest, you can let that one grow slowly. It's, it's not growing so fast. So it's like, it's moving at the speed of a turtle. There's no reason why you have to race it. Like just let it, let it move slowly, focus on the ones that are really fast. And then you'll eventually get to the turtle that, that you have, right? That's growing really slow. But I think at first it's nice to do the snowball strategy where you just attack one or two that are really small because it gives people momentum, energy, and excitement, and motivation to keep going. So depending on how much debt you like how many different accounts you owe money on, you know, you might kind of start with one, but then switch to the other. And I, so I always love telling people just do a hybrid. Don't try to just stick to one because sometimes you need the best of both. So the funny thing is most people, this could actually be filed under the previous question, which was like, what are some um, mistakes that young people tend to make? One really big mistake people make right when you graduate college, if you do have student loan debt from the federal government, they will automatically put you into a default payment plan. And if you don't go online and look at what that plan is, then you're just going to be in that default payment plan. And some people would rather pay it off faster than the default or take more time to pay it off than the default. So at the end of the day, if the default's 10 years, if that's not right for you, then you need to make sure you go in and change that. 
But yeah, on average, it takes people 15 years, some people 20 years to pay off student loan debt because for the reasons we talked about, A, they're probably making minimum payments and B, they've just kind of defaulted to whatever payment plan they were put into in their account without having a lot of agency to go in there and make changes. The biggest question I get is how do I improve my credit score in the fastest amount of time? <laughs> like I want to boost my score and I want to do it quick. Actually, it's my best performing video on my YouTube channel, which is about credit utilization, how to boost your credit score super fast. You have to pay off your debt. <laughs> like it is actually so simple. The closer the amount of money you owe on your credit cards, the closer it is to the available amount of credit on there, the closer you are to maxing out your credit card. And maxing out your credit card is the worst thing you could do because it means that you are using 100% of the available dollars to use right now, which is really, really bad. So what you want to do is actually use just a small percentage of what's available on your credit card. And a lot of people say 30%, 30%. I'm like, 30%, 30% gets you an okay credit rating in that category for utilization. Why would you settle for okay if you can get an excellent score rating in that category by spending only 10% or less of what's available? So the key there is like, if you have a credit card that has $1,000 on it, divide that by 10 to get 10%. So only spend $100 on that card every month and you will have an excellent utilization rating on your credit score. So I think the, the easiest way in the U.S. to build a credit score is actually to open a credit card. <laughs> for a lot of people, that's actually pretty easy. And the reason why is because if you don't get approved for a, an unsecured credit card, which is just like the, a regular credit card that people refer to, then you could apply for a secured credit card first, where you actually save a little bit of cash, maybe 200 bucks, and then give that to the credit card company as collateral. So then they give you a credit card that has a $200 balance on it or available credit on it. And then you go and use it and pay back just like a normal credit card. But if you can't make the payment for any reason, they will use the collateral that you gave them to pay. So they don't feel like you're a risk to let you use the credit card with them because they have cash back and it's kind of a backup plan. And then after a year, maybe two years, you can call them up and say, hey, I really, really like this company. I've been with this secured credit card for a year, for two years. I really want to just kind of graduate up now and have a regular unsecured credit card. And so then they will return your collateral money to you. You can add that to your savings account and then you have a regular credit card. So I think that those are probably the easiest ways to get started with a credit score. And now there's new programs too that I think a lot of people probably may be considering like credit builder loans that help you build credit without you having to get a credit card just in case you don't want a credit card. There are alternative options too. So there's a variety of ways, but I do think the easiest ways to just get a credit card, use it from time to time, always pay it on time and in full. If you're brand new to the US and you don't have a lot of time here, it can definitely be a challenge. That's when people are like, oh, I just got here. I don't really know what to do. I think the quickest way to kind of get situated once you have your paperwork in order, even if you're here just like on a temporary stay, if you have a social security number, if you have your address, you know, all kind of like your paperwork, you can go to a credit union or community bank or, or, or like a regular bank and just get started with building a relationship with that institution create a checking account, create a savings account, just try to start building that relationship. And then once you have already been a customer there or a client or you know, um, a member, then you can talk about loans or credit cards and borrowing options with them. Because ultimately, the way that you get a credit score is by borrowing money and paying it back and showing that you have a positive record of paying back money when you borrow it. So at the end of the day, you do need to figure out a way for you to borrow so that you can pay it back and show that you are capable of paying back and also that you do so on time and in full. 
I think that the hardest thing is to establish credit when you don't have a relationship with any institution. So I think the, the important thing is start building a, as personal relationship as you can. Nowadays, people don't realize if the banker knows you, they will figure it out. They'll try and help you out. And so I really prefer credit unions and community banks for people that are newly American, because I think that's super, super important, kind of building that relationship with that institution so that they can give you options that they might not otherwise present to you because they don't have a relationship with you. You know what? I think I'll say this because honestly, this is like underrated advice. People don't realize how important taxes are in the course of their life and their finances. And this is the year that like for me, I got really serious about learning to understand taxes. Why am I paying them? What do I pay? Where does it go? And how can I lower my tax burden? And so I think it's super important for people to understand taxes because on average, people pay like half a million dollars in taxes in the course of their life. So if you're giving that much money away to taxes and you don't really know like anything about them or how you can kind of lower that amount. So being strategic, using tax advantage retirement accounts, learning about what are some ways that you can get tax credits and lower your taxable income each year. It's super important to just be comfortable with some of those things because especially the older you get, the more taxes weigh on you because you slowly make more money over time and then, you know, pay more taxes too. In my work, I do a lot of posting videos online, just creating content for Misty Helpful. But in my full-time job, I work at a nonprofit called Next Gen Personal Finance. And so my work is always around personal finance education. But the mission of, of the organization where I work full-time is trying to get every single high school in the United States to teach a full semester class about personal finance, including budgeting, saving, credit, banking, investing, managing your credit, paying for college taxes, insurance, right? All of these topics that we kind of just learn as we go. And then we make a bunch of mistakes like I did with my credit cards and like other people do with student loans. And when you make a lot of mistakes with money, they're expensive. Mistakes with money cost a lot of money. It costs you to make financial mistakes. So the earlier we can start teaching this stuff, the better the next generation will be. So um, I just encourage everybody listening. Like, obviously you care about money and finance and credit because you're listening to this podcast. So this is a call to action for you to become an advocate for financial education. Check your local schools. See, do they teach personal finance? And if they don't, call up the school board and find out why not. How can I make sure that, you know, when my kids go to that school one day, when the kids in the community go there, that they're going to get a class about personal finance and money. Become an advocate for that because, Another generation of Americans comes up in our schools and doesn't learn about money. We are just failing the next generation the same way we failed previous generations by not teaching them about money before they turn 18 and sign on the dotted line for credit cards and sign up for student loans and all these kind of financial things that people do, but without understanding them. So we got to teach it in schools. So if people want to follow me, they can follow me on social media anywhere at Miss Be Helpful, M-I-S-S-B-E Helpful. And also check out all the videos that I post on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash misbehelpful. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of VantageScore Solutions. This podcast is brought to you by VantageScore Solutions, a higher level of confidence. Thanks for listening.